All right, good morning, everybody. I want to welcome all of you to Plum Creek today. You picked a great day to be here because this morning we're starting a journey. And I should tell you up front, this is going to be a long journey. I'd even say an epic journey. Starting today, we begin a walk through the story of Jesus from beginning to end. We'll go through his life and his ministry in chronological order. Now, the name of this journey is the gospel. And gospel is a word that means good news. So what we're saying here is that the story of Jesus is good news for us. But why is that? Why would our lives be better today because of a man who lived 2,000 years ago? Well, let me start with this question. Is it possible for anyone to know God? Can we have any level of certainty about who God is or what he's like? Now, in our country, most people do believe in God. According to a recent study, over 80% or four out of five Americans believe in a God of some kind. But beyond that basic belief, can anyone know God? A lot of people would say, no, that's not possible. When it comes to God, we're all just guessing. And I get that. After all, God is invisible, and he's pretty quiet, too. Uh, He doesn't speak to us out of the sky. At least he's never done that with me. So where do we even start? Well, according to the Bible, and according to many of us here, there is one way to know God, and that's by knowing Jesus. For anyone who's new to this story, that may seem like a big claim to make. But that's exactly what the Bible says. Check out this verse from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 18. That verse says, No one has ever seen God. That's exactly what I was just talking about, right? So no one has seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Man, you talk about some big claims. Right here, John says that Jesus not only knows God, he is God. But he doesn't stop there. He says that Jesus has made God known to us. So based on this verse, if we want to know who God is, if we want to know what God is like, we have to start with Jesus. But now, what if that verse leaves you with more questions than answers? If that's the case, I understand. I've been there myself. So here's what we'll do. Let's begin this journey with another tough question. How can we be sure that Jesus is who we're looking for? Because when you think about it, people get mixed up all the time. The other day, I was at Panera over at Crestview Hills, and I had a lunch appointment with someone I had never met before. I showed up a little early, and I was standing just inside the entrance, and a man walked up to me, and he smiled, and he shook my hand, and he said, Jeremy? And I said, no, sorry, my name's Doug, not the guy you're looking for. So the man apologized, and he walked away, and I just sat down at a nearby table a little out of the way, and I'm telling you, It wasn't five minutes later when another guy walked up to me. He held out his hand and said, Todd! I said, no, I'm Doug. 
not the guy you're looking for. And eventually, I think all of us got straightened out. But people do get mistaken on a regular basis, right? And since that does happen, it's a good idea, it's a good idea to ask, is Jesus really who we're looking for? Is Jesus really the one who can connect us to God? Well, in order to answer that question, we need to have the clearest possible picture of Jesus. And you know, even that is easier said than done. Uh, sometimes we forget how much we don't know about Jesus. For instance, what did Jesus look like? I'm sure we all have some kind of image in our minds. Some of you might think of the stained glass version of Jesus. Uh, images like this have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. But do they carry even a slight resemblance to the historical Jesus? Probably not. But then some of us might think of a movie version of Jesus. They've made a lot of Jesus movies over the years, and I think in most cases, we can be pretty sure that we're not getting an accurate image. And then some of you may be like me, and you grew up seeing this picture. When I was a kid, I saw this painting a lot. Uh, there was one on the wall at church. We had one at home, and it was just very common at that time. But the truth is, whatever image you have in your mind is probably wrong. But that's only the beginning. There are so many things we don't know about Jesus. For example, did Jesus tell jokes? Did he laugh a lot? Or, or how about this? We've heard that Jesus was a carpenter, but was he a good one? Did he ever hit his thumb with a hammer? And if so, did he get mad? Did he yell? What did he say? Or have you ever wondered what Jesus thinks about our world? What if he lived among us today? What would he be like? Would he own a car? If so, what kind? Would he watch movies? If so, which ones? Would he be a sports fan? If so, what would be his favorite team? can't really see him cheering for anybody with a name like Blue Devils. Or, or here's a good one. Would Jesus vote? If so, who would he vote for? These are fun things to think about, and any answers we come up with is just speculation. But then what about the stories that we do know about Jesus? Can we trust those stories to be true? Did Jesus really work miracles? Did he really give sight to the blind? Did he really raise the dead to life? And if so, does he still work miracles today? And was Jesus really a perfect man who was executed unfairly? Did he really suffer and die on a Roman cross? Did he really pay the punishment for our sins so that you and I could be forgiven? And then... Did Jesus really rise from the dead and walk out of the tomb as proof that he had ultimate power over death? If so, will he also give us victory over death? These questions are very, very important. Because if there really is someone who can bring the dead to life, don't you want to know that? And if there really is a person who can forgive all of your sins, no matter what you've done, don't you want to know that? And if there really is a person 
who can provide a way for us to know God and have a relationship with him. Don't you want to know that? Don't you want to know him? Man, I sure do. But again, how can we be confident that Jesus is who we're looking for? What's the evidence? How do we get to the real story? Well, for the next several months, we're going to do our best to get to the real story. And if you want to see the real Jesus, I would point you to one place. I would point you to the Bible, to the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are known as the gospel books of the Bible. And, and do you remember what the word gospel means? It's good news, right? And all four of these books are biographies. They tell the story of Jesus. And they're written from four different perspectives, but they're all inspired by God. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all had different personalities, different backgrounds, and each one has a unique take on the life of Jesus. It's very similar to what you get when multiple people witness the same event, like a car accident. Uh, you can ask every witness to tell their version of the story, and you'll you'll get different perspectives and details. But when you combine all of those accounts together, you'll have a pretty good idea of what actually happened. And that's the case with the writers of the gospel books. Four different voices, but one story. And the more you read these books, the more you'll find there is a remarkable consistency here. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all have the same message. They're all saying that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the best news you will ever hear. So this is the journey that we're on. We'll be drawing from all four of these gospels to give us the fullest possible picture. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but today is called the introduction. So this morning, we're going to look at the introductory words of Mark, Luke, and John. We're saving Matthew's introduction for next week because he begins with a long genealogy of Jesus, and we're going to have some fun with that one. But the first place I want to go here is the opening of the Gospel of Mark. Now, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can turn with me to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have it up on the screen. So follow along with me, Mark 1, 1, and he begins with these words. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, right away, a couple of things jump out to me here. First, there's that phrase, good news. Uh, we've been talking about that, haven't we? And in this verse, the phrase good news is a translation of the word gospel. It makes sense, right? So Mark is saying, hey, listen up, I've got something very exciting to tell you. I have a great story to share. It's good news, and this is going to change your life for the better. And we don't have to wait to hear what Mark is excited about. Did you catch it? Mark says that Jesus is what? He's the Messiah. Now, if you're a Jew in the first century and you read this verse, it's like a bomb going off, because this title of Messiah is loaded with meaning. The Jewish people had been waiting and longing for the Messiah to appear. They were looking for the chosen one, the one who was anointed by God to bring hope and salvation to the Jewish people. Now, if you have a different version of the Bible other than the New International Version or the NIV, you might read something different here. 
Instead of Jesus the Messiah, it may read Jesus Christ. And do you know why that shows up differently in other versions? It's because the words Messiah and Christ are interchangeable. The original Greek word here is the word Christos, and Christos means God's anointed one. In other words, Messiah. So that's good to know because sometimes people think that Christ was Jesus' last name, sort of like John Smith, Jane Doe, Jesus Christ. But that's not it at all. Christ is a title identifying who Jesus is. He's the long-promised Savior, chosen and anointed by God. So Mark here is saying that Jesus is exactly who we've been looking for. He's come to bring salvation. He's come to bring hope. And as the Son of God, he's come to bring us back to God. But we have to be careful here. Because Jesus often surprises us. He's often very different than our preconceived notions. And that was definitely the case with the Jews. In the Jewish world, the word Messiah became associated with hopes of a revolution. By the time Jesus was born, the Roman Empire had a stranglehold on the entire Mediterranean world. And the Jews longed for freedom and independence, and they, they wanted to govern themselves but they were stuck under Rome's thumb, and they couldn't escape. So they dreamed about a Messiah, a political or a military hero who would show up and lead them to victory. Well, the Messiah did show up in the form of Jesus, but he didn't come to raise an army, and he didn't come to rule over an earthly kingdom. He was a king, sure. He was the king of kings, but he came to build God's kingdom. So that meant for the Jews to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, they had to let go of that image of who they thought he would be. And they had to accept the Messiah who actually came, the one who was infinitely better than their imagination. And you know, that, that's an important lesson for us, too, because we all have our opinions about who Jesus is, but some of our opinions are just preconceived notions. We might think we know what Jesus would say or we know what Jesus would do in a given situation, but it's not long before he completely surprises us. And I say that so that you can be prepared. As we read through the four Gospels, I guarantee that at some point you will be surprised or even shocked by Jesus. I've been reading these books for a long time, and I'm still surprised on a regular basis. And I'll be honest, sometimes... I'm confused. Sometimes I'm frustrated. But you see, Jesus won't be kept in a box. He's unpredictable. So let's be ready to let go of our preconceived notions. But let's also make sure we get the main point from Mark here. What can we take away from this one sentence that opens his gospel? Well, here's the main idea. Without Jesus, this world is beyond saving. Because without Jesus, the Messiah has not come. And you can look for hope in all kinds of places. You can look to a king or a president or some other politician. You, you can look for a friend or a spouse or another relationship to give you hope. But no other human being can give you what you're looking for. No one else has the answers to your deepest questions or the solutions to your biggest problems. But Mark says, 
Yes, there is bad news in the world, but you don't have to worry because I have good news that overpowers the bad news. With Jesus, the Messiah has come, and he is the one we're looking for. Now, I like the confidence of Mark. I really do. But there's always a part of me that wants to ask a few more questions. Like, Mark, how do you know? How do you really know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God? Well, this is where it's very helpful to have more than one gospel account. Let's flip over to the book of Luke. Now, Luke is very interesting. He, he's uh, not one of the original 12 disciples. He's someone who wrote a, a gospel from a little bit of distance from Jesus. And he starts out by telling exactly why he wrote this book. And if you are a person who also tends to ask a lot of questions, you'll want to listen to this. So let's read the first four verses of Luke chapter 1. Here's how he kicks it off. He says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So that is very cool, isn't it? Why did Luke write this book? Verse 4, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And Luke says, guys, the story is legit. Jesus is for real. And how do you know that, Luke? Well, what did he say? He said, I took it on myself to launch an investigation. I searched the historical record. I heard the oral testimonies. And I looked at the prophecies that have been fulfilled. And Luke says, I tell you what, I'm convinced. The gospel isn't just a good story. It's the honest-to-goodness truth. Now, in case you're not familiar with the Luke of the Bible, it's helpful to have a little background. Luke was highly intelligent and very talented. He was kind of a Renaissance man. He was a historian. He was a theologian. He was also a physician. And that's not all. Scholars who are familiar with ancient Greek tell us that Luke was also a brilliant writer. He had the skills of a poet. So if you wanted to find someone who could do the research, uncover the truth, and then present the truth in a clear and compelling way, Luke is definitely your guy. Now, I need to point out one more thing from Luke's introduction. Did you notice that name, Theophilus? Who is that? Well, Luke says that's who he's writing to. He, he put together this orderly account for a man named Theophilus. And we don't have much information about this person, but we do have a few clues for one, Luke uses a special title. He says, Most Excellent Theophilus. And at that time, the title Most Excellent referred to a person of significance. And you might hear that title assigned to a Roman cavalry officer or a Roman governor. In fact, in the book of Acts, two governors named Felix and Festus are given that title. So it appears that Theophilus was a man of authority. Another clue is the name itself. The name Theophilus means friend of God or one who loves God. So why would Luke address his gospel to this friend named Theophilus? 
Well, again, we have to speculate a little here, but the possibilities are interesting. It's possible that this friend of God was a person of faith who had not yet become a Christian. And if that's the case, Luke was hoping that this book would help convince his friend to become a follower of Christ. You know, here at Plum Creek, we sometimes talk about praying for one or reaching out to your one And your one is someone you know who does not yet have a relationship with Jesus. So it's conceivable here that Theophilus was Luke's one. And that's kind of fun to think about. But maybe that's not what was going on at all. Maybe Theophilus was already a Christian, but he was struggling with questions or doubts. And if that's the case, then Luke is saying, listen, There are good reasons to hold on to your faith. I'm writing this so that you can be sure about what you've been taught. Either way, though, Luke is being a very good friend. This gospel is only part one of a two-volume work. Luke wrote a sequel. It's called the Book of Acts. It's the history of the early church. And if you go to Acts chapter 1, you'll see that Luke also addresses that book to Theophilus. In the end, though, uh, Luke knew that his gospel would be read by more than just one person. It would be copied and shared all over the world, down through the centuries. And that's how we get the privilege and the benefit of reading it today. So what is the main point of Luke's introduction? Well, again, let's remember that Luke had conducted a major investigation. And he would tell us, without Jesus, there is no good news. Think about it. What if Luke had done all his research and then discovered that the story was a sham? What if Luke had learned that Jesus was just a regular person and that his body was still in the grave? Well, I'll tell you what. If Luke found out this whole thing was a joke, we wouldn't have this book. He he wouldn't have wasted the time and the energy to write it. But that's not what happened. Luke dug into the facts And he came to a clear conclusion. With Jesus, we can trust the evidence that the good news is for real. So we've taken a look at Mark and Luke. But what about John? What does he bring to the table? Well, to tell you the truth, the gospel of John stands alone. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are often called the synoptic gospels. And the word synoptic means seeing together. And that refers to the fact that these three books have a lot of similarities. They tell a lot of the same stories, often in similar ways. But John gives a very different view. He zooms out to a cosmic perspective. And he sets the story of Jesus against the backdrop of time and space. John also tackles some of the biggest questions about the identity of Jesus, about the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. And when we we read John, we get a good idea of what's at stake here. So let's look at his introduction. John chapter 1, starting with verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So John goes back, way back to the very beginning. 
And for those of you who are familiar with Scripture, can you think of another book in the Bible that begins with those three words? It's the book of Genesis, yeah. First verse in the entire Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And trust me, this is no accident. John is making an intentional connection between his introduction and the first verse of Genesis. Because for John, the story doesn't begin with a baby in Bethlehem. It doesn't even begin in the days of the Old Testament prophets. It begins at creation, the day the universe was made. And it's important to know that every time you see the word, word here, that's a reference to Jesus. And we could have a whole sermon on why Jesus was called the Word, but for now, here's a quick summary. Jesus refers to Jesus as the Word because Jesus is the wisdom of God in human form. Jesus is the agent of God, saying what God would say and doing what God would do. In fact, John makes the case that Jesus, the Word, was God. He says that very clearly in verse 1. But did you see verse 3? John says in that verse that all of creation was made through Jesus. So God made the world through Jesus. How does that work? Well, unfortunately, we're trying to understand things that are just beyond our comprehension. But the point is, John doesn't want us to think of Jesus merely as a, a scruffy Jewish rabbi who, who gained a, a regional following. Now, Jesus is far, far greater than any human being who ever lived. At the same time, though, Jesus was human. He was completely human, both God and man. And why is that important? Well, we could, again, get into some very deep and lengthy conversations about that, but we don't need to at the moment because John explains the significance of Jesus in verses 4 and 5. He says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So, life and light. These two themes continue throughout John's gospel. But what does that mean for us? Let's think about it in terms of opposites. What's the opposite of light? It's darkness. And what's the opposite of life? It's death, isn't it? So again, where would we be if Jesus had not come? Well, John says, without Jesus, we're destined for darkness and death. And what's it like to live in darkness? Well, it's a lot like wandering around in your house at night when the power's out. You're trying to feel your way around, but you're probably going to bump into something. And you might get hurt. Works the same way in life. When we walk through this life without light and direction from God, we're just wandering around, and we get lost, and we run smack into something that we didn't see coming, and we get hurt, and others get hurt too. But actually, it's worse than getting hurt. If we walk through our whole lives in darkness, we have nothing to look forward to but death, eternal death. Without God, we have no hope for life because we can't create life and we can't bring anyone back from the dead. So we need some kind of help that's beyond ourselves. We, we need a power that is far greater than our own. But that takes us right back to the good news. With Jesus, we can have life and light 
for all eternity. That's an amazing promise. It's amazing because none of us deserve that life. We actually deserve death. Because every one of us have chosen to rebel and sin against God. And by all rights, we should be punished. We should be separated from God forever. But the good news is that God loved us anyway. And Jesus came as our Messiah and our Savior, and he paid the price for our sins when he went to the cross. He offers forgiveness and grace to everyone everywhere. And when we give our lives to him and we begin a relationship with him, we receive this gift of life. Friends, that is the good news. That's the gospel. It's a story worth sharing. When it changes your life, you'll want others to hear about it. You'll want to spread the news so that others can find what you've found. This week, I was looking back on my own life, and I tried to remember a time when I got some really good news. And pretty quickly, I remembered this one day when I heard some news that was so good I'm pretty sure I didn't stop smiling for at least a week. The day was July 5th, 2004. And that was the day when my now wife, Hannah, told me something that I had waited to hear for years and years. Some of you know a little of the story. In the late 90s, Hannah and I attempted a long-distance relationship. After a few months, though, the relationship ended. Not my choice. In fact, I spent the next few years hoping and praying that we might get back together. I had other relationships, but it wasn't really fair because I always compared them to Hannah. And every now and then, Hannah and I would get back in touch, and I remember asking her, Hey, I know it didn't work out last time, but do you think maybe you and me might possibly? And I remember her shaking her head and saying, Nope, not going to happen. I'll spare you the long version of the story, but seven years after that earlier breakup, there was one little window where we both lived in Ohio before I moved to Georgia. And shortly before I moved away, I asked Hannah to join me for dinner. And on that night, after all of those years, I asked her a question that I had rehearsed over and over again in my mind. I said, Hannah, are you still completely convinced that you and I should be separated for the rest of our lives? And she looked at me and shook her head. No. All right. So no means you're not convinced that we should be apart. So that's a yes. That, that means you're open to the possibility that we could be together. And that moment is when the birds began to sing and the soundtrack of our lives reached this crescendo. And I am not exaggerating when I say that was one of the happiest days of my life. But where did that unadulterated joy come from? It came from getting good news. And in the days after I got that news, I was so excited to tell people what had happened I still didn't know what the future would hold, but I had gotten the kind of news that changes your future. I had gotten the kind of news that gives you hope. And listen, as we continue on this journey through the gospel of Jesus, I'm praying that all of us will grow more and more confident that Jesus is the best news we could ever hear in this world. This news is better than falling in love. It's better than achieving all of your career goals. 
It's far better than anything that's based in this world. The gospel of Jesus is the kind of news that will change your future for all of eternity. We can have a real hope and real life and eternal life that starts right here and right now. So here's what I'm asking today. I'm asking for you to make a commitment to take this journey with us. I'm asking for you to make it a priority to be here every week and walk along with us as we come to know the real Jesus and we discover the power of the gospel and we experience that power. It's a journey worth taking. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the good news. There is so much bad news in this world. But I thank you that the gospel overpowers all of that bad news. And Lord, as we just dig into the story of Jesus and we get a clearer picture of who he is, I pray that we will be transformed by this news. Some of us for the first time, and some of us just being transformed again. We pray for that to happen, Lord, in Jesus' name. So this is the kind of news that you hear and you don't just walk away from it. It changes you. So if, if you need that transformation and you need to become a follower of Jesus because you've never done that before, you've never put your faith in him, we want to give you an opportunity to do that. We're going to sing one more song. And after we dismiss... I'm going to be down front, front of the stage right over there. A prayer team will be down front. And we'd love to, to talk with you for any reason. If you want to follow Jesus, if, if you just need somebody to pray for you or pray with you, we'd be glad to do that. If you need to have a conversation today, you can do that before you leave. You can stop by the Connection Cafe and just get to know our church and what we're about here. We want to walk alongside you on this journey.